Hello, I'm Jeff Lester, and finally, we get around to episode 136 of Wait, What? Comics and Pop Culture Peaceling. Graham McMillan is here, I am here, and the wide world of comics is here under the microscope for two hours of discussion and dissection. Topics covered today include the new announcements from this year's NYCC, including the all-new Ghost Rider, Batman Eternal, and Priest and Bright on Quantum and Woody. Also discussed in varying degrees of terrifying detail, the second issue of the Star Wars from Dark Horse, the first issue of Superman Wonder Woman, the season debuts of Parks and Recreation, Nashville and New Girl, Powerpuff Girls by Troy Little, Fairy Tale Comics from First Second, Afterlife with Archie, Lazarus, Open Face Sandwiches, and the Enigma that is Erotic Vampire Bank Heist from Airport Books. Show notes are available for this episode at SavageCorrect.com, and we welcome your comments and questions at WaitWhatPodcast at gmail.com. As always, we thank you for listening, and hope you enjoy. Jeff Lester! Graham McMillan! Oh my god, technology works! Hang on, I've not closed the blinds, though. Yeah. That sounds like we're going to get into a, like, Wait What After Dark. <laughs> That's right. Cue the sexy sax music for that. Welcome to Wait What After Dark. Oh my god, you're disturbingly good at that. <laughs> hours and hours of practice, my friend. That's how a lonely childhood is spent. So, how are you? My goodness, it's been like forever since we talked, even though we talked last week, but in such a... Yeah, exactly. Last week's conversation was was not uh, the greatest, was not optimal, shall we say. Listen. Uh, I'm good. It's been a a busy week Mm -hmm. leading up to uh, New York Comic Con. It's really weirdly busy, even for me, who's not going to New York Comic Con. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, is, is is there a specific New York Comic Con related reason for that? Is it are there a lot of people who are trying to get stories there, placed with yeah, you before D- to Dynamite, break? Yeah, Dynamite has been just going crazy with her announcements. Uh, a lot of which have been appropriate for Hollywood Reporter. So there's been a bunch of that. Uh, there was the Paul Pope thing that went live on Hollywood Reporter yesterday. I talked to Paul Pope about Battling Boy. Nice. Um, and there's the the Valiant thing, which I guess we can talk about because this will go live on Monday, won't it? Monday or Tuesday, yeah, absolutely. So yeah, so there was uh, writing up the uh, priest Mark Bright thing. Oh uh, yeah, which is great news. That that's gonna break. Does that officially break tomorrow or does it break on Monday? Uh, Saturday. It breaks on Saturday. Mm, mm, Saturday four o'clock, I believe, is what is when the embargo was lifted. Wow. Uh, which I think is just. I, I said this to you last week. I think this is just great news. Mm-hmm. Uh, so for people who don't know, uh, in case you missed the news from New York Comic Con, and Jeff will actually have to pay attention to make sure this does get announced, <laughs> otherwise we'll have to edit this shit out. Um, <sighs> Quantum of Woody is returning again at Valiant uh, with Priest and Mark Bright as the creative team. They're doing a five-issue series. Um wow. That is set in, because I, I don't think I told you this, it's set in the original continuity 20 years after the last series finished. Oh, wow. No, you did not tell me this. Um, and is, because uh, I talked to to Priest and, and Mark Bright and Warren Simons and someone else from Valiant whose name is entirely escaping me right now. And Priest was like up front. He's like, yeah, this we're not closing any doors. Like, this, if this sells really well, we'll happily do more. Wow. Wow. That's ter- tremendous. Um, so yeah, I, I'm I'm really really looking forward to that, and also I think it's great, and because I remember when Quantum Woody was announced, everyone was like, "What? Where are Priest and Mark Bright? Clearly, Valiant or motherfuckers." <laughs> uh, and 
and amusingly, when I was talking to Priest about it, Priest was like, oh no, we were talking about me doing more before Valiant relaunched as Valiant Entertainment. Mm, mm-hmm. Like, they've been talking for years, uh-huh. and it's just that it came together now. So Priest has been on board all along. Hmm. Uh, so that was that was a really great conversation. So much of it cannot be used. It was a... Uh, well, it was one of those things where, like, it's a conference call, so they, they really affirm with it, like, you're calling in at 9, you're getting off the phone at 9.15. Right. Like, so we have another conference call right after you, like, all these people are doing conference call, you can't keep all everyone on the phone for the entire day, okay? They're like, 50-minute, 50 50-minute 50 window. And then Priest, Priest was fucking hilarious to talk to. I mean, really ridiculously funny to talk to, but so much of it was just off-topic. <laughs> <laughs> that I was, I was like, I'm having a great call, but I should probably ask some questions at some point. <laughs> right. It was, it was like that. It was very, but he was great. It was one of the things we were like, I would talk, I would listen to you talk for hours. Hmm. You're, you're just a ridiculously funny man. You're completely down to earth. You know, I, I, I thought he came across really, really well. That's great. That's, uh, that's good news. And I hope if it leads to more work for him, I think that would be tremendous. You know. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's pretty great news that they're coming back. So, um. so yeah, so so things like that have been happening. Mm-hmm. Um, what's been happening is Dynamite has been sending out their embargoed news a day early, a day before the embargo. So basically, you can write it up and get get alive. Oh, that's great. Um, I've got all the Marvel embargoed news, which mm-hmm. I can go through if if you want me to go through all of Marvel's announcements <laughs> for this weekend. Um, DC apparently don't have that much news. Mm-hmm. Uh, they got the Batman Weekly they announced today as we're recording. We're recording on Thursday. Right. They're, um, and they're they doing a big, the weekly, huh? Yeah, they're doing a series called Batman Eternal, mm-hmm. which is uh, it's Scott Snyder, James Tynan, John Lehman. Uh, crap, there's another two writers. Mm-hmm. I can't remember who the other two writers are. Um, and a revolving art team. And they're basically doing as like each writer takes an arc for themselves. Right. Um, and they're talking about, you know, it's going to be a whole new Gotham by the time we're finishing. There's big things happening to the city, yada, yada, yada. It could be good. It could be terrible. I'm sure. not sure. Right. Um, but that's a big thing. And also they're doing a mass, a massive Detective Issue 27. Uh, because that comes out in January in 2014. It's Batman's 75th anniversary. And he first appeared in the first Detective 27, yada, yada, yada. Got it. Uh, and so Detective 27 is going to be Lehman and Jay Fabrock doing the main story, but Paul Dini is going to be doing stuff. Frank Miller is going to be doing something. Hmm. Um, Scott Snyder is doing something with Sean Murphy. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Uh, there's some. There's another team. Hmm. Uh, but yeah, it's the last Lehman Fabrock uh, serial in this comic before they confirmed today that Francis Manipal and Brian Buccioletto uh, uh, or Buccitello, whatever, are taking over right. after that. Huh, Interesting. Interesting. And, you know, I did, I did have that moment of, because I think you'd mentioned briefly that, that they were taking, last time we spoke, that they were taking over Detective, and um, I just didn't track it well enough, because I was like, huh, it seems to me that Layman was work on Detective was being, was pretty well regarded and was selling okay, so. Yeah. And hopefully he's, he's moving on because he wants to, so. Well, he's, if nothing else, he's not even leaving Batman, because he's doing the Batman Eternal comic. Right, so, which is like a fifty-two-week storyline, basically, or it's just—it seems to be. I, what it, it looks like to me is lots of smaller stories with like a story arc behind them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Well, um, I have to say it's a it's the... a good idea. Like I honestly think a Batman Weekly, if done right, could be a good strong draw. I just don't know. Ray Fox and Tim Seeley are the other two writers. Uh interesting, interesting. I think I think yeah, we'll just have to see what happens. I this it's not the sort of thing that super excites me, but I think I really have to say that. Um, I don't know. I guess Trinity came after Countdown, didn't it? Wasn't Trinity a weekly book? That yeah, came it, after it, it was. It was fifty-two. Then Countdown immediately, like the week afterwards. Countdown mm-hmm. started the week afterwards, um, and then they did. Then they skipped a while, and then they did Trinity, and then they skipped another while, and then they did Brightest Day. Oh right, Brightest they Day. All, was... They alternated Brightest Day and uh, um, Justice League. Justice right? League Generation mm-hmm. Lost. Yeah, yeah. Right, right. So they were bi biweekly, but on staggered weeks. So yeah, and Trinity oh. was only three times a week, three times a month rather. Yeah, there we go. Okay, yeah, I knew yeah. it wasn't quite three, that... three times a week. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, this comic comes out. Hey! <laughs> on you go, retailers! <laughs> oh, man. Um, yeah, anyway, that sounds... Uh, that's interesting. Let's, Graham, it's wonderful, because you'll be talking about all this stuff. Like, you know it all, so we can talk about it, and it almost sounds like we, you know, by the time it airs, it'll be old news. People will be like, yeah, it's, oh, it's crazy it's, they're still it's talking kind about of, that. Yeah, exactly. Well, we heard about that two days ago. What are you talking about? <laughs> Hey, people, when we're talking about it, this story just broke today, and I can tell you Marvel series that's not going to break until, like, Saturday or Sunday. Very exciting, isn't that? My goodness. Except, there's no, is there any actually embargo announcements on Sunday? There are, uh, but they're not great. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm, I, had, I had a terrible reaction to the Marvel announcements. I, like, the teases got me super... Not super excited, but like, oh, that's an interesting creative team. Oh, that's an interesting creative team. And then I saw what books they're working on, and I was like, ah. (laughs) (laughs) It was kind of sad. Uh, Well, we can talk about that now in more detail if you want, since those will all be broken by the time this goes up, yeah? Okay, so let's let's go through the list in the order they're they're being given. uh, Let's see. The all-new X-Men meet the Guardians of the Galaxy in the Trial of the Jean Grey. That's right. The press release actually says, the Trial of the Jean Grey. That is the best. I I think that's a mistake. Wow. I mean, who knows? It might actually be called the Trial... Sorry. Trial of the Jean Grey. Yeah, I think think somebody looked at that when it was Trial of Jean Grey and was like, that's missing a the. Yeah, exactly. And the person's like, okay. Do-do-do-do-do. Uh, let's see. That there's also all new X Factor issue one. Peter David stuck on books called X Factor. <laughs> just just fucking stuck on them. Uh, Thunderbolts issue twenty dot now equals Thunderbolts issue one in the all new Marvel now. I can't believe they're actually sticking to that. It's like if the, is that their thing? Dot now equals oh god. Um, but that that's because Ghost Rider is joining the Thunderbolts. That's wow, right. That's, also. Um, mm-hmm. Also, I'd like to point out, there's a new Ghost Rider series coming that I'll tell you about because this new Ghost Rider series is spectacularly shameless in naming its inspiration in the blurb. Uh, let's see. Savage Wolverine issue 14 point now issues equals Savage Wolverine issue 1 in all new Marvel now because, you know, we care. Although that's really weird. It's written and drawn by Richard Eisenhove, the colorist of Wolverine Origin. Yeah, I was about to say. That sounds familiar. Hmm. Yeah, he's writing and drawing a comic. Huh. Uh, let's see. Avengers World issue one is going to be Jonathan Hickman's third ongoing Avengers comic. Exciting. 
That'll Exciting. be an interesting one. Black Widow issue one, because yet again, they're desperately trying to make Black Widow a solo character who can hold on to her new book. Captain America issue 16 point now equals Captain America issue one in all new Marvel now. Why do they, what does uh, that, I swear to God, Graham, every time you say that, my brain feels like it's going to break. What What also, are you saying? What does that mean? Like, like Rick Remender has the greatest, um, like he's got a, a wonderful sort of trashy imagination. Mm-hmm. But I have to say, I can't take a character called Doctor Mind Bubble seriously. Oh I yeah, the Doctor Mind Bubble. It really, it's it's like Captain America's trapped in a video game from the eighties. Like he and Dig Dum, Dig Dug. Also, have here's, to time. here's the blurb. While Captain America searches for the mysterious Doctor Mind Bubble, the mysterious Doctor. Well, yeah, with a name like Mind Bubble, it's like he needs an adjective to help out. Released from decades in solitary confinement by a terrorist attack, his protege Jet Black is left to her own devices in New York City. Seriously, Captain America has a protege called Jet Black? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. What? It's, oh, it's, it's Arnim Zola's daughter. It's really embarrassing oh, that... You God, know. of course it is. Yeah. Uh, then, the, the first of the announcements I'm actually genuinely interested in, Loki, Agent of Asgard, issue one. Yeah. Is Al Ewing and Lee Garbett. Wow. Uh, doing an ongoing Loki series, where Loki is, and I quote, all grown up, and the god of mischief is stronger, smarter sexier and just plain sneakier than ever before <laughs> first of all god bless them for going after the movie audience for loki because the movie audience for loki is fucking massive yeah it is and it's you can surprisingly tell, like, rabid turning them back to an adult and then making sure that sexier is in there mm-hmm. like they're clearly going for the movie of fandom for loki that's a great idea yeah so you can tell that Al Ewing wrote this because it then goes as his guardian's one-man secret service. He's ready to lie, cheat, steal, bluff, and snog his way through the dirtiest and most treacherous missions the All Mother can throw at him. See, come on, that sounds great. I'm sorry, I just think that sounds great. Uh, secret Avengers issue 17. Point now, but at this point, it, this apparently doesn't issue equal issue one in all new Marvel now. It's just Secret Avengers issue 17 point now. However, this is when Alish Scott takes over as solo writer. Oh, right. Mm-hmm. Um, and adds Spider-Woman to the team. So we'll see what happens. Avengers Undercover is the replacement for Avengers Arena with the same creative team. Mm-hmm. Dennis Hopeless and Kev Walker. Avengers AI issue 8 point now uh, proves that that comic apparently is going to make it to issue 8. <laughs> That's great. Um, let's see. Iron Patriot issue 1. Also because, by Al Scott. Uh, yeah, Al Scott and Gary Brown. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's interesting is James Rhodes is taking over the Iron Patriot armor in the comics. Hmm. So they're like, again, they're, they're taking it from the movies. Exactly. Silver Surfer issue one is Dan Slott and Mike Allred doing Silver Surfer. Who knows? That's pretty Fantas- wacky. Yeah, Fantastic Four issue one proves that yes, they are honestly rebooting the series like, what's that? 18 months after the last reboot? If if that? If that. Um, this time it's by James Robinson and Leonard Kirk, which is a completely solid creative team. Mm-hmm. I I don't think it's solid enough to do anything to the sales, though. I mean, we'll see what happens, maybe. Then there is all-new Ghost Rider issue one. Jeff... Are you ready to explode? I, I've been I've been waiting to explode all through the list. What is it? There's a new crime lord ruling the streets of LA, Mr. Hyde, and his army of enforcers have cornered the black market with a new drug people can't get enough of. But there's one man who is going to stand in his way. 
Are you ready for the greatest, most shameless sentence in PR history? Absolutely. The spirit of vengeance gets fast and furious with an all-new Ghost Rider who doesn't nice. just like motorcycles. That's right. Doesn't just like motorcycles, Jeff. He's going to be fucking racing cars. Come on. No. Well, you know, whatever. I, I sort of think that that, you know, most of the Ghost Rider stuff doesn't <laughs> stick. I mean, I swear to God, they've tried to reboot fast, you know, work fast and the furious into the Ghost Rider for like, wasn't there the one where they were like racing cars in Tokyo or something that it's just seemed like a ripoff of Fast and the Furious Tokyo Drift? With like uh, the Yakuza I, I and Ghost Rider and stuff. I, I, Come on, Graham, keep I, up on this Ghost Rider information. It's important. I, I am glad that we are. We do have another of brand new Ghost Rider. What three years after the last one? Who was a woman and who completely has been forgotten already? They're like she didn't work out. Hey, brand brand new Ghost Rider, everyone. <laughs> this one like turbocharges his fucking head. His flames will shoot like his flaming skull Ooh. would just shoot up in the air. Come on, that'd be awesome. I'm man. totally down with it. Absolutely, especially if he's like there's like a Kickstarter or something in his skull. You know where. He's gonna, like, Kickstarter, on the... really? He uh, can't pay uh, for it himself? Mm. I hate you, Graham McMillan. <laughs> uh, Deadpool, the Gauntlet issue one is Deadpool getting his own infinite comic. They're doing a, because they're oh. doing one for Iron Man right now as well, which is good. Kingdom, sorry, Disney Kingdom's Seekers of the Weird is a really interesting one. Yes. I'm kind of excited they've, about that because of... Yeah, they've announced that. But you can't read it, Jeff. It's a Marvel book. I know. But I'm still excited that Brandon Seifert's getting the work. Yeah, it's Brandon and it's uh, Cara Moline who does, who's been doing some great stuff uh, on the Buffy books for uh, Dark Horse for a while. Right. It's, it's a really solid creative team. Uh, for those who don't know, this is based on... This gets really weird. It's Marvel and Disney Imagineers have co-created the series based on the never-opened attraction eventually became the Haunted Mansion. So, we'll see what it's like. Uh, George A. Romero's Empire of the Dead. Yes. It's this new zombie series. Right. Uh, it's, it's a 12-issue. Is it, isn't it just a mini or a maxi? It's not regular. It's apparently five issues. Oh, wow. See, this is the thing. I thought he'd been working on it forever. And so to he see has. it announced, and it's like five issues, I'm like... What was going on there? You know, but. yeah, it's super weird. But it's uh, apparently what it is is it's a screenplay that he wrote that Alex Maleev then turned into a comic. Yeah. So there we go. Captain Marvel is getting relaunched with a very familiar gimmick for anyone who's read Iron Man recently. Captain Marvel's joining the Guardians of the Galaxy. Man, there's yeah, a lot of eggs in that Guardians of the Galaxy basket these days, aren't there? Well, if nothing else, Iron Man has now left the Guardians of the Galaxy and is back on Earth. So maybe it's a revolving thing. Maybe Captain Marvel will eventually come back and they'll be like, okay, Shang-Chi, it's your turn. Dude, like they're just revolving don't tease me because that would be great, actually. Hey, Sha- Shang-Chi is in space right now in Infinity, Jeff. Really? He's well, got, like, well. Yeah, he's got like laser like gauntlet things that make his kung fu like laser kung fu or something. See, Jonathan Hickman, what is wrong with you? That sounds phenomenal, and I'm sure if I tried to read it, I'd be like, meh, you know? Uh, it's, it's a Jonathan Hickman book. Uh, let's see, Electra issue one. It's Ed Wells and Mike Dolmundo are doing an Electra title. Uh, apparently, it's going to take Electra to places no other Marvel character can go, according to the blurb. We'll see. Punisher issue one, which sees the Punisher also going to Los Angeles. Hopefully, he can team up with all-new Ghost Rider. See, the problem was the way you said that... 
sees the Punisher. I thought you actually said she's she's the Punisher, the Punisher. The- and I'm like, oh my oh, god, Punisher issue awesome. one, she's the Punisher would be like the best. I don't know if why, I mean, she's but that's the boss. yeah, exactly. Like you know, <laughs> the potential there is just enormous. You know. Uh, there's also the last two announcements. There's also a new New Warrior series, and there's Superior <laughs> Spider-Man issue 27. Point now equals Superior Spider-Man issue one. The new Mar- all new Marvel now. I don't know why some point nows equal issue one and why some don't. But there you go. Superior Spider-Man issue 27. Point now does equal the Superior Spider-Man issue one in the all new Marvel. It just now. you sound like an 11 year old talking Pokemon when you say that. I mean, what does that actually mean? They're saying is that their way of it's, saying it's saying, a jumping on it's point? Jumping on point, yes. That That's sounds t- terrible. Why couldn't they just say that? It's the most ridiculous it's a, it's thing. Really, it is appalling, isn't it? It's, it's so the most bad. Completely fucking random way of saying this is where you start reading now. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like, as as if having the word now in it wasn't, you know, it's like, it's amazing. Well, it's been around for, Marvel Now is still kind of Marvel then. It's been around so long, so I guess... Mar- Marvel Now was announced, what, at least a year ago, right? At least, wasn't it? Well, it depends. There's Marvel Now... No, it must have launched. It must have launched about a year ago. Mm-hmm. I think, so when it would have been longer. I don't know. And, of course, the problem is they jammed in so many issues. Like, who can tell? Like, it's well, been a just year. And... Like, so Aven- Superior Spider-Man is going to be on issue 27 in February. <laughs> Superior Spider-Man launched January this year. What? Isn't that fucking amazing? Wow. That is I know, right? crazy. That is absolutely well, guess, crazy. It's a, bi- it's a bi-weekly book, I guess. <laughs> like, that's nuts, right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Let's see. Yeah, Uncanny Avengers came out October, like a year ago, October tenth, twenty twelve. Man, that is. So yeah, Marvel Now is is officially a year old because that was officially the first Marvel Now book. Good grief, good grief. Well, you know, I have to say, hmm, um, happy birthday, Marvel. Happy now. birthday, should, Marvel I think Now. We say that. Yeah, we should. We should. Because yeah. we are recording on October 10th, 2013. Happy first birthday, Marvel Now. You're growing up so fast. <laughs> it's so true. Like, we barely recognize you. Um, Graham McMillan, this was a hell of a week for comics. Uh, I feel like we should be talking about comics. I mean, we're talking I, about I comics, want, but in I that press release to, kind no, of way, you know? I want you to talk about comics because I haven't gone to the store this week. In part, it, it's been a crazy week jeff uh but i know some of the things you picked up i've already read because battling boy was one of the things you picked up right it is um although i have to fess up because i had a limited amount you of time i haven't read it i haven't read it oh jeff i will i will do this for you then it's really good everyone battling boy is really 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 good i loved it i thought it was it completely fulfilled the promise of the haggard west one shot which is actually the first chapter of the book um and it's yeah, it's just it's glorious. It's completely Paul Pope doing fairy tales, doing superheroes. It's really great. At the risk of being a dick, though, don't you think yes. that the um, does the size put you off a little bit? Because I felt I thought that the size it cramped does. his art a bit. What's really interesting is I thought that when I started the book, and about midway through, I didn't care anymore. Okay. Okay, well, I'm hoping that hits for me because I sat down and part of it was just like, okay, let me hit as many books as possible. And this being a, like this and Zombo, which were the ones I was most excited to have in my hands, are the ones that I still haven't read yet. Um, but yeah, when I sat down and flipped through it, I was like, oh, this seems Smaller. compressed. Yeah, like, and, and in this way that I don't think he was 
originally planned on having it reproduced at this size, you know? I'd be very surprised if that's the case. It's the same size as the majority of first, second books. And definitely when her, he started working on it, mm-hmm. the same size as every first, second book. Mm-hmm. Well, all I can say is it, it. I'm looking forward to reading it. I'm sure it'll be great. I can see some stuff that is big and open and that sort of works with the size, but some of the other pages, because of Pope's... Pope's got an interesting way of, like, detail, but also the way he puts blacks on the page, you know, make it very dense. And so at this sort of reduced down size, I look at the stuff, and it just seems seems a little too dense. It's really weird. It reminds me of... Um, I don't know, of reading, of reading Digests when I was a kid, where it was like, oh, the art doesn't quite... Yeah, you know. So I, uh, what's really interesting is I thought it's actually one of his most visually open books. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, I I think there's a lot more space there than there is in a lot of his other stuff. I I can see that because again, flipping through it, especially in some of the big effects or some of the flight stuff, there's a few double page spreads. There's a lot of stuff that is that is it, it's open. But I guess when he goes in for his detail punch, you know, mm-hmm. it just it just threw me off. Anyway. Looking forward to reading it. Glad to hear that it was not like a big deal for you. Uh, what did I read? I actually read Saga, which was that last week? That was two weeks ago. Two weeks ago, because yeah, it's been three weeks since I've been in the shop. It was great. I reread uh, Thirteen so that I could get caught up because I picked it up, and because because I'm like six, you know, I was two weeks behind. I'm like, wait, I barely remember what happened, so I jumped back in. Um, really, a good good strong issue. I have to say I'm completely envious that you knew that Brian K. Vaughn was was live tweeting on Panel Syndicate yesterday because that was something that passed me eye and I would have loved to have tweeted something or even just sort of watched him doing the the Q and A in real time. Kind of fascinating, yeah. right? It, it, yeah, he he was yeah he was very good on it. I also really liked his response as to why he doesn't tweet more. Oh right, which you asked him. Wait, no, was that was that your question? Or... That, that was me. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, I actually asked him if he, if tweeting for a day changed his opinion of Twitter. Right. And his response was, "Twitter is great, but I have I don't write for what I don't get paid for." Yeah, yeah. I saw his line was something like, "I don't, I don't sign a birthday card without getting you know, demanding a voucher." Without for it. without vouchering, yeah. Yeah, which I thought was was a great line. I thought that was interesting. Were there any other highlights? The the one thing that I thought was really fascinating was somebody asked him what earns him the most money. Did you see? You must have seen that question, I didn't, right? No, I didn't. I, I was I was dipping in and out of Twitter all day yesterday, so okay. I, I missed a, I missed a lot of it. Well, well, mostly what I saw from from Vaughn was him being like a very charming smartass, but smartass. Yeah, he was being a really charming smartass throughout. And of course, you know, looking at it a day later, I could sort of see some of. I, I was just scrolling through his answers, but somebody asked him like, out of Saga, Under the Dome, and Private Eye, what earns him the most money. Basically, it was asked him to rank the the three based on how much money they made, and it was kind of interesting. He was like, "It's a ballsy question. I appreciate it." So his breakdown was Saga, Under the Dome, and then the PI. Wow, Saga makes more money than Under the Dome, huh? Which, if you think about the fact that he's a showrunner on that show, is he's, he's not the showrunner on the show. He's not, isn't he? One no, of the showrunners. He's I the sworn. creator and an executive producer, but he's not the showrunner. Oh, 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 they actually hired someone in as the showrunner. But I would have thought that basically, as the creative and executive producer, yes, he would have a chunk of change from that show. Yeah, and who knows? It could be the sort of thing that that 
those numbers change incredibly because he's only being paid. You know what I mean? Like the the equivalent of being released on the trade, the first season DVD hasn't yeah, gone out, and I assume yeah. he sees money on the back end. Also, I have to say that movie sucks some butt. Sorry, movie this, that this show. show. Mm, bad. I have to admit, I saw the first episodes, and then I was like, oh, I'll watch the rest sometime. And like the entire run has finished now, and I still haven't seen it. The I I you know one of the things to to digress a little bit, which anyone who listened to my solo cast last week now feels like you know a. a goose flesh rise and like you know start trembling deep in their souls i've watched a variety of new tv shows like the first episodes that have come out um you know for like parks and rec and uh new girl and um uh what was it nashville you know all the guilty pleasure shows that really aren't that guilty and a lot of lot of season openers this year really were terrible. Like, I was kind of impressed at how bad they were, sort of, and I don't know if that's just the truncated season thing. In many cases, the second episode of the show was much, much better, but um, I only... Uh, I remember the new girl being terrible. I yeah. the new girl one being really, really bad. Um, the second one the was other? much better. Uh, what were na- the other... Nashville? I've still not seen Nashville. I'm sure it's something I'd get... I know I'm sure it's something I'd get completely addicted to, which is kind of why I'm not watching it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, you're talking to the person who ended up seeing every episode of NBC Smash, Jeff. Let's keep me away from Nashville, okay? Oh my God, no! You got to watch Nashville because at least there were elements of quality before it went down. Like that, the second season opener was so bad. I was like, oh, they're really they're dead in the water, aren't they? Um, but the the next issue was the next episode was a little bit better. Um, and uh, and. Parks and Rec, the first episode was, to me, was kind of troublingly bad as like a show that I really like. That was it one was where... Full of ju- it was full of, uh, we've got to explain this. We've got to explain this. We've got to explain, like, Andy, why don't you stay here for three months? Right. Like, uh, yeah, there was, it, was, it was very weird. It was mm-hmm. a very weird episode. And again, the, ne- the following episode of Parks and Rec was really, really much stronger. Yeah, I thought much stronger, but... Weirdly, it's one of those shows I'm now a little worried about, interestingly. And by worried, well, I mean... It, no, but it, I mean, you should be. It's going through weird changes this year. Right. They're exactly. getting... They're writing out uh, Rashida Jones and... Uh, Rob Lowe. Rob Lowe, which mm-hmm. is... It seems like a really big change to make to the cast midway through a season. Right. Right. Well, I think they wanted to transition those characters out you know, which I think is smart rather than just having opening the season without their, with them just being gone. I remember they got married. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So for me, I, part of me was kind of like, Oh, I think that'll be a good choice because Rashida Jones, the character has been very hit or miss. Um, Rob Lowe, I think is, is actually pretty great, but they also seem to have run, they ran out of story ideas for him, like halfway through last season or something. And honestly, that's kind of how the thing that's weird for me is even though the second episode was like much better, it's like when you take out the number, how do I put it? Like Parks and Rec has always been a show that I think has benefited by having like a number of different comedic actors and different comedic approaches and even sort of acting skill levels you know what i mean like mm-hmm. there were a couple of moments in that second episode where people were 
just kind of flat out mugging to one another. You know what I mean? Like as much as I like Aziz Ansari and his character, I don't think he's going to yeah, be up for all, any nominations anytime soon. Does. Mm-hmm. That's all he's ever done in that show. No, I agree. But without without the other actors on there, like you didn't notice it as much. Like I said, there was enough different styles, but for whatever reason, I really felt like um that episode which was just full of Aubrey Plaza and Enzis Ansari and um the, you know John Ralphio and you know Yeah, I have to say I think that you're I think you're making a really good point. I think that uh I, I never get his name right. Nick Offerman? Yes. Mm-hmm. The the guy who plays Ron Swanson? Yes. Is guilty of the same thing. Exactly. Exactly. Uh and I think that when you get rid of when you get rid of Rob Lowe and you get rid of Rashida Jones, you're pretty much like Leslie Nope becomes the only non-catchphrase based character in the entire show. Yeah, yeah. And by catchphrase, I mean looking at the screen. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right, looking at the screen. And and weirdly enough, even um, Chris Pratt, whose Andy is about as broad as it can get, um, he's such a good actor that it actually works for me. But like, so maybe part of it was seeing this second episode with everyone else. It was almost like the mugging. Like it was like, it was, it was strangely like if you cross the office with an episode of Hee Haw, you know, I'm, I'm not, it's, it was, I really was like, ah, I don't know if I'm going to be able to put up with a lot more of this. So it'd be interesting. I sort of feel like they're going to need to put a few more characters back on that bench or figure out ways to integrate them better together because the other thing that I notice is they seem to be doing a lot of the uh, sitcom like okay let's take two characters and pair them off and have a story those two characters can get paired off and have a story uh, and then we've got our you know our main A story go and there was a point where I was kind of like yeah these characters have you know, like even in, in the episode where I think it's like Rashida Jones and Aubrey Plaza have a story together. I'm like, yeah, this feels kind of old and played out. And, you know, even though I think they've only had like maybe two or three actual B, B or C stories together over the course of the entire run. So, I don't know. Anyway, my point is is that uh, Under the Dome had a halfway decent first episode, I thought, but with a lot of terrible shit in it. And I was like, okay, well, this is one of those situations where they're just, it's going to take them a few episodes to work out the kinks, I guess. And sure enough, when I watched the second episode, they did a great job of working out anything that was halfway effective in the first episode. That was all gone and only the awful stuff remained. So I think, I think that watching under the dome, the first season of it, at least following other people's online commentary seems like, it's not going to be worth catching up on unless you develop a drinking problem, you know, and need something to sob quietly by, you know, or make fun of as you like sink into a stupor. I feel like we should now like segue to like a really shitty comic that we've read and be like, and talk about, Oh, really? Yeah. You know, honestly, Jeff Lester, <laughs> listeners who can't see what's going on. Jeff Lester is now holding up a copy of, the Star Wars. Issue 2. The Star Wars. Yeah. Which has been. Looks like weirdly shiny. I look. It looks as if that cover should be lenticular even though nothing moves. It, it is true. It's a super glassy cover. It's like <clears throat> magazine style gloss. Um, and 
Yeah, boy, I got to tell you, first off, it's really interesting because if people like Jonathan Hickman comics, which they do, apparently, check out Star Wars number two. They did a great job. Like, I really did. It was like, I feel like I'm reading a Jonathan Hickman space comic more than I'm reading, like, a George Lucas draft of Star Wars. Um, really? Yeah, I mean, not that that's overstating it, really. It's just there's lots of scenes of people in rooms, like, talking and pointing at one another, and then space combat that's happening for reasons you don't really, can't really figure out. And then there's, there was some moment that I just do not follow at all in the book where the weird douchey character that's supposed to be the Luke Skywalker analog actually gets dressed down by the real Luke Skywalker, who of course is this guy with the beard. Um, and it was such a weird, Oh, Kane Stain star killer. Is that the one? Yeah. Kane star killer is suddenly he's like, I don't know. He's like, he's like sexually groping a woman or helping her after she passed out or I don't know. And it just, it's like these, one of these really clear, unclear transitions where like, Luke Skywalker's like, where's Starkiller? And then you cut to Starkiller, like, with a woman, and she's going, uh... And then suddenly he's got his head turned, and he's like, um... And you're like, why does he look like that dude from, you know, uh, Boardwalk Empire? And then the next thing you know, they're having a light sword fight for no reason whatsoever that I can figure out at all. And then it just stops. I'm just like... And that was the best moment in the comic because everything else is... Oh, actually, no. The best moment in the comic is where R2-D2 says, what the... That's like the best moment in the comic. I don't know where I have to hold it up. <laughs> oh, my God. That, no, no, no. I saw that. That's yeah. spectacular. Yeah. It's, it's so the wait, best. R, so wait, R2-D2 can talk. R2-D2 can talk, which is actually one of the great moments. Is, is he sassy? He, 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 tell me R2-D2's sassy. He's not, he's not that sassy oh. so far. See, he, that's the difference between the Star Wars and Star Wars. You know that in Star Wars, if R2-D2 could talk, he'd be a sassy motherfucker. Well, exactly. This one says, C-3PO at one point is, you overweight glob of grease, quit following me. Get away. Get away. And then R2-D2 says, yes? C-3PO says, quit? I don't think so. Quit Another difference following me. Star Wars and the Star Wars. Oh, my we God. We all know that the real C-3PO would say, stop. Please. You're right. He would. Absolutely. You know what's great? I'm. Guess what, everyone? We've changed the nature of the podcast. It will now be Jeff reads the Star Wars page by page to Graham, who gives us real-time Star Wars fan commentary. This is going to run great. We start now. We should be able to get halfway through episode one by the end of next month. I'm excited. Um, yeah, no, actually, the, the, the really smart thing is, is like, there's this weird, it's like the Battle of the Death Star, but it isn't, and it cuts to the inside where C-3PO and R2-D2 are running as things are exploding and stuff, and C-3PO's first line is, this is madness, and you're like, oh, okay, this, uh, perfect, like, that's C-3PO, that's his first line, and then he says, I'm still not accustomed to space travel, we're going to be destroyed, and then the very next panel is R2-D2 saying shit, like, in a regular word balloon. Like, they don't. the fact that they don't even... Um, it's not like robotic word balloons. Yeah, exactly, is really actually kind of a great little surprise. But then he's saying stuff like, the external bombardment appears to be concentrated in this area. The structure has exceeded the normal stress quotient by 0.4, although there is no immediate danger. Sassy. You know, it's you like... Know what I, you know what I'm saying? The fact that he's got a normal speech balloon... 
in the Star Wars, R2-D2 is a dude in a fucking dustbin. Wouldn't that be great if he comes out and he's like, okay, uh, yeah, well... At the end, at the end he's going to take off the lid. I'd be like, oh, I'm hot. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, if this was 2000 AD. Anyway, so after having the first thing, first issue where I was like, well, I kind of like it, but I kind of don't. Like, it's not close enough to Ralph Quarry, but it seems like it's going to interesting places. And then to get this second issue where I'm just like shit is just happening it's like a, it is it's like oh this is where you know anytime anyone says like we're adapting the first draft you know like you get a little you should be scared you should be very very scared so i don't really know how much of this is going to continue to go on but i it didn't pan out as much for some of the really weird bad storytelling choices like i don't understand when you've got the Star Wars, and you can tell the story, you you pretty much can tell it in any format that you want. I don't understand, unless they felt compelled to be as close to Lucas's original screenplay as possible, why you would just sort of like, well, this scene seems to make no sense. Make sure you catch that in this adaptation. I'm sh- well, I'm, I'm sure that's what they're doing. I'm sure there's some level of, let's stay as true to George's vision as we could. Admittedly, his vision was a bit obscured here, but let's stay true. Do you know, I, I, I actually would be very surprised if that's not the case. Yeah. That they're like, yeah, this doesn't make sense, but it's what George wrote. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm sure there is. And there is a lot of it. Again, there's that kind of that weird feeling of, uh, like, the creepy way in which maybe parts of The Phantom Menace were closer to George's original vision for Star Wars. Like, reading this, I'm like, wow, he really was just chomping at the bit to talk about trade councils and taxation, you know, as, well, as a motivator. Did, to be fair, he did always say that the prequels were based on the original draft, like, the first half of the original draft of the screenplay. Yeah. So, yep. he's he's a, he's into the taxes. What can we say? Yeah, he really is. Very interesting. Uh, empowered. Empowered, yeah. Uh, nine that, beers with the one jet. That, is this the one that finally goes, hey, she's a functional alcoholic. Sexy, right? Yeah, I think so. It although, is, right? although, yeah. volu- although volume, you say that like that's a bad thing, Graham. Volume seven did actually, I thought, a pretty good job with that as well. If if you do like the ninja character, and it sounds like Graham McMillan does not, uh, volume seven I, empowered I, is just terrific. Know, I, I find myself enjoying empowered, but also have so many issues with it. I have so many problems with empowered. It's kind of amazing that I still actually like it. That is kind of amazing. It is amazing because I'm glad that you like it because it actually prevents you from just sort of like tearing into it and me the way you did with manga a couple of weeks ago. Um, (laughs) So I think that's. If anything, I think that Empowered is almost more troubling. Oh, I would think so because you're enjoying it. That's why I think it's probably more troubling. Not even that. Like, it's not even anything to do with with me enjoying it. Like, I think Empowered as a whole thing is really fucking troubling. I think Empowered, uh, it's incredibly aware of its fan service, and it goes to some very dark places in service of that fan service. Hmm. Hmm. But don't you think, and I could be wrong, that going to the dark places in service of the fan service is actually a way of sort of undercutting the fan service? Do you you know what I mean? Like it, no, I, it I, explores no, I it think, a bit deeper. I, you don't think no, so? No, I think it's a I think it's a way of. Um, 
making Adam Warren and the readers feel a bit better for enjoying the fan service. I think it's uh hey, look at this. It's full of panty shots. She's getting tied up a lot, but really it's deconstruct deconstructing the trope of the damsel in distress. So it's okay. Look at her butt. <laughs> I, 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 like I really I I think I think Empowered really is the having your cake and eating it of comics. Interesting. Interesting. Also, I just have to say, every time I say that phrase, you have to have your cake in order to eat it. You can't eat your cake when you don't have it. That phrase always really annoys me, but still. Yeah, it's always it's always a wacky... Well, I tell you what, let's run through uh, these things, because Lord knows uh, fan service is a, is a really good segue to something else I wanted to talk about, but we'll return to later. Um, other things read, Fatal, also, interestingly enough, a, a book about... The disturbing side of fan service, I suppose. I mean, I suppose it... You know what I mean? Wouldn't you say that's the same with Fatalgram, or no? That, uh, that the idea keeping, of the female seductress... I have up with Fatal. Did so you follow I, I it past the first arc, or not even that? No. Interesting. I haven't, so I, I honestly couldn't say anything. Uh, I like, it's a Brubaker and Phillips book, so it's probably very noir, and at least one female character will smoke, and that's all I can tell you about that comic. <laughs> Well, this particular arc, which is set in early '90s Seattle, um, is fun. I thought this. I thought this particular issue sort of sped by like a little too fast for my liking. I think it will probably read great in the trades, but um, I really like the beginning of this arc because Brew Baker, having been up in Seattle at the turn of the 90s is able to put some strange sort of quasi autobio elements into it just enough to where it's like it's even it never feels like it's intrusive in the storyline and i don't think if you didn't know that about brew baker you'd notice i mean although he mentions it in, in on his letters page but it is kind of um i don't know we'll see it has it to me i feel like it has the possibility to build to something bigger but mm-hmm. but i'm still enjoying it entirely on its own yeah um, uh, Powerpuff Girls uh, Numero Uno, which I picked up for did, my niece. I was gonna say, did you buy that for yourself, or did you buy that for June? I bought it for June, but uh, okay. but I did actually read it this time around, and I am uh, it it was it was good. It's certainly very faithful to the cartoon. Um, mm-hmm. but one of the things that has impressed me watching the cartoons, uh, with my niece recently. Um, is they pack a lot of story into uh, an, your average Powerpuff Girls cartoon episode. Sometimes they even have two episodes per, um, per episode. Yeah, like two yeah. stories, yeah, two two stories, stories per, per episode, episode, right? Yeah. yeah, so each one runs maybe about 10 minutes, and they jam a lot in there. And by contrast, this one has a lot of, like, things exploding and things being, you know, crashed, and Mojo... Jojo sort of loses his mojo, basically. Um, mm-hmm. He's he's like, why, if I'm the biggest genius in all the world, do I keep getting beaten by a bunch of super-powered little girls? Um, and so it actually ends with him being in prison, kind of like turning to um, the professor to basically get himself healed uh, and no longer be the smartest genius and just go back to being a regular schlub. So... An interesting idea, but it's one of those ideas that they pretty much would have hit that at the five-minute mark of the episode and then wrapped yeah. it up. You know what I mean? So 
it's tough to compare comics and cartoons that way, but I do wish that the sucker, it, it felt a little light, um, pacing wise, even compared to some of the DC stuff that I read, uh, rocket girl numero uno. Um, I picked it up cause the art was really damn lovely. Have you read this it's, yet? It's a, yeah, it's mm-hmm. a lovely, 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 lovely looking book. I've been weirdly back and forth with Amy Reader stuff. Or I think you remember when she was doing Batwoman, I was like, yeah, it's, it's actually not that great. There's right. some real issues with, with the, uh, pers- the proportion and the perspective. I think Rock Girl looks lovely. Yeah, it really does. It really does. Um, We'll see how it comes together. I mean, it actually had like a really interesting idea. I thought, um, in what I what appeared to be following from the premise, um, like there's a very clever the fact that you know Rocket Girl comes from the far flung future of 2013, where you know we did get our flying cars, and goes back in time to 1986 to stop a quantum experiment that is the is the the catalyst yeah Yeah. so the the idea that we're actually shown her coming from a better world to stop you know that the incident that creates it leaving a meaning that in theory we're going to end up in our world i guess is a really interesting idea to me um you know because i think that that would be a fun way to create some drama about how vested we are as readers in terms of what she's doing or the idea that she might be making a mistake She's doing the wrong thing for the right reasons. Um, But I feel like that was sort of touched on and then just kind of jumped out of the way so that they could get to more sort of super-dupery show-stopping sequences, Mm -hmm. which I kind of don't mind. For a first issue, I think it's good to have just a touch of deeper issues and then... Yeah, and I I think you kind of have to do that in a first issue these days. You have Mm -hmm. to be like, there's a mystery! Right, but here's everything you need in this issue. Like here's enough for your your dollars. This issue, yeah, and I think they have that. My only my only concern was really just more of a finessing, so that I wasn't entirely sure how much they were playing up the mystery as a de- deliberate element. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like yeah. if that's something running forward, or just something that was just part of their original pitch. Um, I liked it. In some ways, it also sort of reminded me of. Uh, uh, Galactic Patrolman Giro uh, that I've been talking about uh, that's been running in Shonen Jump weekly that just wrapped up by Akira Toriyama because it also has this sort of strange, like there's a couple of points where she's like, I'm a police person and jumps into the fray um, that very much reminds me of the this sort of similar charms going on over in Toriyama's strip where you've got an extraterrestrial otherly police person who is you know, um super devoted to duty even as they're not entirely understanding what the what the current reality situ- situation is yeah. you know yeah so i thought that was was grand fun um zero year batman did you read did this come out this just came out this week right this just came out this week yeah so you haven't read it unless you picked it up in digital i i have not read it i did not pick it up in digital and to be honest i may not pick it up at all i reread the first three parts but i was like yeah i like this i'm not sure i like it enough to keep buying it interesting because i really remembered what i remember while flipping through this was you talking about how much you enjoyed the second or third issue of of the run of zero year like it was really working mm-hmm. for you oh no it, it, it works far better than the earlier snyder capullo stuff mm-hmm. but still i'm not sure i'm 
into it enough to keep paying three ninety nine a month. Well, good news. This is six ninety nine, so you don't have to worry about that. This issue. What? Yeah, six dollars and ninety nine cents. Why? It, well, it's an it's a it's an extra big issue. Frankly, I think that um, you know they they've got a, a an epilogue that is by. I don't know, dudes that are not Capullo, um, and I'm I'm assuming may have been written by James Turian. I don't know if they actually have full credits on this. Hold on, I'm sure they do because I actually a... happen to know they do at the very start of the book. Yeah, because they've got actually a very nice yeah. little tribute to, um, uh, what is it? Is it Detective Comics? Detective, yeah, it's Detective Twenty Seven. Yeah, so great little cover there. Uh, Capullo's in here. Why don't they mention that the art totally changes on the... Oh, there we go. And then, yeah, from pages 44 through 54, it's Snyder and Tinian with uh, Raphael Albuquerque on the art. But until that happens, like, just the fact that it says pages 44 through 54 should tell you the first... It's a book, yeah. It's a big book, yeah. It's a, it's a double-sized issue of Batman bo- even before you get the 10-page prologue. But still, I was like, ooh... Like there's something where when it's seven dollars for a comic book, I just get start getting antsy, you know. Oh, here's the question: Could it have worked as two different issues? Mm, it's something. No. It's 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 something. It had to be one issue. Uh, certainly the way that they structured it. Uh, I don't know. You know, it's funny. I bet if I go back and look at it, maybe there is a point where they had a really clear breaking point. But as it is, even with the super high count i'm not sure this is sort of why i kind of wanted was hoping that you would have read it i felt like it didn't entirely work as a uh what's what's the word i'm thinking of i I don't think the story ended up working like this final issue is kind of awesome in terms of big set pieces and lots of great Capullo art and a big showdown between Batman and the Red Hood gang that's got lots of explosions and a and a shit ton of like fan service like it really is um Snyder and Capullo kind of doing this thing that should be great but I think I'm kind of tired of which is kind of like oh okay here's how we're going to make our Batman Dagwood sandwich you know what I mean like we figured yeah. out we're going to have this much that's Miller we're going to have this much that's the Nolan movies and we're going to have yeah, this here, much here's some Bob Kane and Bill Finger and yeah right exactly exactly so by the time you get on the one hand it's like well there's no denying that it's a pretty well-made sandwich, but at the same thing, it, it, it also didn't really feel like a, a meal in and of its own self, especially with some of the stuff that was set up in the first part of, of Zero Year, you know, so... But it's not, it's you also, I mean, it's got to bear in mind, it's not the last part of Zero Year. Well, yeah, that is true, That because it is, it moves on to Dark City or whatever, which I did not realize, um, and I think, actually, it's really smart, honestly, as long as they want to keep doing you know, basically new 52 Batman year one stuff. I'm okay with that. I think, you know, I don't, I, you know, apparently this, the fans are responding sales wise. So we'll see, we'll see what happens, but I certainly had the feeling of overall, I felt like I enjoyed this wrap up more than just about any other individual issue of Batman up to this point. I just not necessarily sure if it did its duty in service to the larger storyline well enough. 
well, now I'm totally torn as to whether I'm going to buy it or not. Yeah, God it's damn tough. you. Yeah. Well, maybe you'll get I've lucky said, and DC will comp I, it I, to you. Well, I was going to say, I really thought it was going to be in the comps this week, but no, the comps this week were um, Superman Wonder Woman issue one, uh, Green Lantern Core, and Forever Evil Arkham War. And by the way, Forever Evil Arkham War. Jeff, if you wanted a spin-off from Forever Evil that existed, there it is for you. I'm kind of excited. You know, the worst part oh, is, uh... I kind of was like, if Dan Slott was writing it, I'd be down for it. Wow, that just, oh, it looks awful. Hmm. Okay, here's the thing. DC loves to put taglines on their covers. Yes. Whoever is in charge of lettering the taglines <laughs> does not understand... That when you put emphasis on a word, you're actually putting em- like if you basically if you read the taglines out and put the emphasis the way that the emphasis is visually, mm-hmm. they are crazy. So for example, Forever Evil Arkham War right. has like the Forever Evil logo, the Arkham War logo, the New Fifty Two logo, the Big Number One because it's the first issue, the DC Comics logo, and the tagline. So it's a fucking busy cover. Good grief. Okay. And the tagline goes like this: "The world's greatest villains are picking sides <laughs> for the war to come." Oh my God, you're doing the best Jerry Lewis imitation right now. This is you totally <laughs> like Professor Frink from The Simpsons. The world's greatest <laughs> villains are gearing up for a war with the the, the flibberch. Um, uh, it's it's um it's it's definitely a comic that exists. I it's just definitely a comic that exists. Doesn't that say something really sad? That is that actually is a step below a comic that does not exist for us. <laughs> we spend a lot of time talking excitedly about comics that do not exist, and I have to say, I never realized until now that a comic that exists, like, if that's what you say about it, that's actually not nearly as impressive. Yeah, it's 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 very professionally done. I have absolutely no interest in the characters, the storyline... <laughs> anything so literally i'm like yup that they definitely got that comic out that comic was definitely finished and published well and uh, really it, that's it, the best thing i mean i want to say that's the best thing you could say about because it, it could be a happy surprise but i mean considering it's not like me when i go and i pick up a comic and then i say things about it and then you're like but what did you expect jeff and then you know just when having someone send you a comic book in the mail and you're like i read it it was meh. you know what i mean like that yeah. kind of is a nice here's the thing there are people who will love this comic Mm-hmm. There are people who are like, I have always waited for all the Batman villains to go apeshit in Gotham when Batman is presumed dead. That's the greatest thing in the world to me. Right. Hooray. This is the comic for them. Uh, Peter Tomasi does his best with the absolutely dollish water premise. Like, he has Professor Pig at one point go, ah, you're a world-famous violinist. You have an important... Uh, he's Because Professor Pig has taken over the hospital, I should ah, say. Okay. You're the world-famous famous, famous violinist. You have a, a big uh, recital you've got to do. I, You have broken your hand. I fixed it. I've sewn a foot onto it. Ah, <laughs> 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 okay. God likes to try. But really... <laughs> You like that? I'm putting it on the pull list. Uh, no, I don't think I, don't think I am. Uh, let's see. What else did I get? Uh, Superman Wonder Woman issue one, which, mm-hmm. by the way, is a a triple gatefold cover. Wow. Oh. Huh. Wow. Um, is, is actually better than it has any right to be, which doesn't necessarily mean it's good. It just means that it's better than it has any right to be. Um, there's a lot I liked about it. 
not least of which it's I feel like it's the least passive Wonder Woman we've seen outside of Wonder Woman's own series mm-hmm. since uh, the new 52 happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's definitely an idea that Wonder Woman is a character who has her own agency and is not Superman's girlfriend in the book, right. which is something that I was really worried about. Mm-hmm. Um, but then on the other hand, there's a sex scene. And really, people, there's no fucking need for a sex scene between Superman and Wonder Woman, even if you're trying to sell the idea that the characters are in a relationship. Also, the way they did the sex scene, Jeff, is literally the characters in silhouette, apart from their clothes, on a double-page spread, intercut with Wonder Woman getting beaten up by Doomsday. But of course. But of course. I mean, really. Really? What the fuck? What the fuck, people? Honestly, like, before I got to that, because that's in, like, the last four or eight pages this year, I was like, huh, they've not gone gratuitous. I'm really, like, good job, DC. Right. This is great. I'm so glad you didn't do something like a sex scene. Oh, oh, shit. Oh, oh, wait, is she getting, yep, There, there's one woman getting beaten up on the same page. Yep, that's great. Yeah, good Good job, everyone. I'm. Yeah, that doesn't leave a bad taste in my mouth at all. <laughs> if you ignore the first, the last, like, five pages of the book. Mm-hmm. It's much better than, like, it's literally like you're like, oh, this isn't that bad. Yes, it is. And then suddenly there are uh, the pages at the end that are just sort of, yeah. yeah. So it's, it is one of those things where I'm like, huh, it's not as bad as it could be because those last pages show you just how bad it could be because the right. rest of the comic could be like that. But it really does leave you being like, oh, really? Yeah, I, I feel it could settle into something interesting. Charles Sewell really does seem to have a nice take on the characters and the dynamic of a, what the relationship would be. Mm-hmm. Um. But yeah, it's it's a uh, again. I'm sure there's an audience who'll be like, "This is great." Now I know the Superman and Wonder Woman. Fuck. But I'm <laughs> I'm not one of those people. I'm sorry. I, you know, they can keep that to themselves. The last thing DC signed uh, was Green Lantern Corps, which is part of the crossover that mm-hmm. they're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, they actually sent that and the hardcover collection of Jeff Johns' last Green Lantern issues. And what is funny is when you read them back to back, Jeff Johns finishes his last issue with, here is a look ahead to what happened to all of the main players. Right. And he's basically doing it to give everyone a happy ending, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The, Je- the Green Lantern crossover is happening now is completely undercutting everything he set out, which is kind of hilarious. <laughs> like, this issue of Green Lantern Core literally fucking blows up the planet Oa. Really? It, the pre- the previous issue of Green Lantern, the previous part of the crossover, killed off all the Blue Lanterns. <laughs> Really? Yeah, really. They're, they're going for broke. And so it's like, remember like two months ago we said there's going to be a happy ending? We're just killing shit now. We're just Well, I mean, it almost makes sense. I mean, because the idea that you're taking over a book with a happy ending, that's, that's, that's pretty hard stuff to overcome. You know what I mean? Yeah, I guess. It's just, it's funny how quickly they went towards, and by the way, right, everything goes to shit. Um, also, I really like the crossover, apart from the idea behind the crossover. It's so dopey that it kind of makes my head spin. Yeah, what is it? The idea against the crossover is this. The Green Lantern power and all the different lanterns all come from like a source from somewhere mm-hmm. that is running out. So the bad guy who is around is trying to get them all to stop using their power so that the source won't run out, because when it runs out, the universe will end. Oh, Interesting. Okay. So it's kind of like a dopey peak oil sort of analog. Yeah. Right? But the best one is, so this villain shows up and he's like, you must all stop doing this or you'll destroy the universe. And 
every single superhero is like, fuck you! I will destroy you! Blast him, guys! Uh, yeah, no, exactly. Seriously, <laughs> at one point, you have John Stewart saying, this issue saying, I don't care how much power we use, we're gonna take you out! And it's just like, what? Wow. Be the fucking superhero. What is this? That's not a good sign. That to me, that is not a good sign. But well, you know, who knows? Maybe they'll come up with a reason for it. You know, I don't know. Uh, oh, oh, DC also sent me Coffin Hill, the first issue of Coffin Hill. Oh, right. Which I wanted. I was hoping to have read by the time we talked because I bought it because it looked lovely. But I haven't read it yet. Did you read it? It's, yeah, it's. Uh, I have. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's lovely looking. Mm-hmm. Like you said, the cover is gorgeous in particular. The right. the the Dave Johnson cover. In particular, Bonds with that logo is just lovely. Lovely, mm-hmm. lovely, lovely. The art inside from uh, Inaki Miranda is really good as well. Yeah, gorgeous. I'm not sure how I feel about the story. Mm. The, the writing is feels a bit uneven and a bit threadbare. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's something there, but I can't really tell you what the something is yet. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, it's one of those things where you feel that the first trade might be great, but as a first issue... Your life kind of going, but what? <laughs> you know, it, it, it's you start with like the inciting events, mm-hmm. then there's a flashback to this character of ten years ago, the main character of ten years ago, and then it goes back to the current time. Right. But you don't get enough about what the inciting event is mm-hmm. to actually really understand. And characters saying things like, you know, you seem totally different. You have you had a personality transplant. But you've never seen this character before, so you you, you don't know this. You like don't you don't know, know one way or the right, other. Right. Uh, you've only seen her in flashback, where she was very deliberately a different character. Right. And something traumatic happens to her at the end of the flashback that presumably made her into the person she was between then and the start of the issue. Right. But you can't tell what's going on, and so it's it's kind of frustrating. You're left thinking, this might one day be a good book. Right. But I really don't know based on this first issue yeah it's tough it's fascinating to me how that's the kind of thing of because who's the writer it's not someone that i was familiar with uh callan kittridge right who's like, i want to say she's a young adult novelist uh, uh, okay so it's one of those situations where it's 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 funny like you wouldn't think it but sometimes the difference of it being like an author that you're familiar with can make all the difference in that sort of situation like oh it's true because you you have a sense of like i trust them yeah this is a bit of a mess but you know they they you know they're normally good at explaining things right exactly and it's the same thing that i kind of had with rocket girl because i only knew amy readers the artist and was not familiar with brandon montclair by the time i got to the end of the first issue i'm like you know, like I think there are bigger threads to be followed up on, or or maybe they were just too slapdash. Like you really don't. Yeah, no, exactly. Yeah. yeah, you really don't have you don't have enough of a grounding to be like, I, you know, I don't know if this is, mm-hmm. you know, vague or if this is planned. Right. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Um, so it's 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 a really interesting fine line that you know you have. Um, with I think a lot of new artists as they enter the the comics field I think you know I mean I think it's a it's a great thing but I definitely know for myself there is a little bit of unfortunately cranky old man syndrome that starts to kick in where I'm like ah you kids that's not how you tell a story blah let me tell you first start with like someone getting mugged in an alley that's as clear as can be. Yeah, and then, and then you have your superhero swinging in, saying his name in bold letters. Oh my god! 
See, and that's... then you then you have a, and then you have a flashback. Then you're like cut to Empire State University last week. Dude, seriously, I'm like, keep telling me, Graham. I want to read the rest of this comic. <laughs> then what happens? Please tell me. You see, have you seen? There's a Twitter account that's. Uh, what if science fiction was like real science? No. The, the, the Spider-Man origin? No, that's great. No. <laughs> the entire tweet was, uh, irradiated spider bites high school student. Student gets band-aid. <laughs> Aww. <laughs> I love that. Um, the, uh, so two things I get sent from other people that uh, I want to completely rave about. Please. One is King's Watch. Have you read King's Watch yet? Yes, I read the first issue of King's Watch and quite enjoyed it. Is the second issue out? Yeah, uh, I I don't know. I got the second issue in the mail. And oh, okay. generally means it's out, but yes. it, sometimes they ship things like a week ahead. Um, second issue, I think, is better than the first. Oh, interesting. Uh, there's definitely much... I, I feel there's a clearer through line. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Parker's just having... Jeff Parker's the writer, and he is just having fun with this book. Mm-hmm. It is really, really fun. And I feel that it's much lighter and much... I feel the first issue suffered a bit from I've got to get all the characters in right. and I've got to set them up. Yeah. And this issue flows much, much uh, more cleanly. Right, right. So I, I, I love... And also, Mark Laming's art is lovely. Mm-hmm. I have no idea where Mark Laming came from. I really hope that he sticks around. I, I love King's Watch issue 2 a lot. However, not the book that I loved most this week. Really? Sadly, I, I would hold this up in front of you, but I left it downstairs. For a second, give me, uh, send me a copy of Fairy Tale Comics, mm-hmm. which is their hardcover collection uh, edited by Chris Duffy of various artists illustrating well-known and some slightly obscure fairy tales. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the lineup is fucking stunning. Yeah. Uh, Craig Thompson is in it. Ramona Fradden's in it. Uh, wow. Jaime and Gil- uh, Gilbert Hernandez are in it. Mm-hmm. Um. Emily Carroll's in it. Graham Annabelle's in it doing the greatest version of Godelocks and Three Bears that has ever existed. <laughs> I'm not joking. It is it is entirely silent and it is the greatest version of Godelocks and Three Bears that has ever or will ever exist. Wow. It is spectacular. Um, it is the most amazing book. It is beautiful to look at. Not one artist does not bring their best work. Ramona Fradden the fact that she's still that fucking good mm-hmm. today should put everyone else in the comic industry to shame. Really? Her stuff is beautiful in this book. Mm. Um, yeah, it, the whole thing is amazing. It's called Fairy Tale Comics. I think it's like $20. It's a hardcover. Mm-hmm. Um, and it came out last month, maybe? Mm-hmm. It's it's fairly, it's came out fairly recently. It's really great. It's if If you like comics for their art because mm-hmm. I mean obviously you know the stories it's fairy tales right. um, it's it's a must buy hmm. okay. it is just staggeringly good that's a great recommendation I will have to check that out huh um, well that is I'm trying to think if I should jump into the last couple of books that I've read or like I'm yes. like I feel like there's a question I should ask you on that one but I don't really know what it is <laughs> yeah, all right. I'll talk about the other books. So, uh, Walking Dead 115, the beginning of their big event. All Out War, Jeff. Yeah, yeah. All Out War, a bi-weekly book. Uh, we'll see where it goes. It's kind of interesting because there was a few parts in this where 
Um, I don't know. You know, I like Adlard's work. I'm also well aware that there's times I, I felt coming up on issue 100, I felt like both he and Kirkman needed something to kind of jumpstart them. Um, I don't think this is going to be it, actually. Interestingly enough, really? I almost feel like, yeah, that this is like by doing it, by basically by doing it bi-weekly, they're going to see if they can like... I suspect they'll fall back on the trick of doing all the stuff that they know because they don't have as much time to work out new solutions or things to things. But hopefully, hopefully I'm wrong. Hopefully I'm wrong. Overall, it looked fine. It read kind of flat, but I think the last couple of issues of Walking Dead for me have hit a... um, It's interesting. I feel like everyone, a lot of other like people on the internet comics internet who talk about walking dead a lot of them have usually like gotten it out of their system you know what i mean or admitted that it's you know either admitted that it was kind of bad to begin with or that it just got to the point where they couldn't even ignore how bad it was and had to quit and i i think for me weirdly you know we've talked about it a couple of times on the podcast i'm still kind of a sucker for a reoccurring zombie apocalypse book um and this one where it really is supposed to be like a war between, um, you know, two different human communities as a big fan of Stephen King's The Stand, I'm like, okay, this should totally be right up my alley. But I'm, uh, maybe the, the biweekly thing will bring me into it more, but I have a sneaking suspicion. I can also see it by the end of it, me just being like, okay, well, I had my I, that was it. Yeah, I had my 125 issues of fun. It's probably time to to leave this for the people finding it from the TV show from now on. So, mm-hmm. um, see, I did not. I was not expecting to pick this up, but oh, I I read that. Uh, I got sent a copy of that uh, digitally. What did you think? I really liked it. We readers wait, are talking wait, we about. Should, we should say. Mm-hmm. We should say what it is. Afterlife with Archie, issue one. Yes, by Roberto Aguirre Sacasa and Francesco Francavilla, which is interesting because to me that's like a mix of uh, an exciting, spicy, exotic jam and the world's most bland peanut butter. Uh, I'm not a big fan of Aguirre Sacasa, as I think we've talked about, except here. It really works. He really does a yeah. great job that making a really twisted Archie comic um, that that with Franco Villa's art just goes great places, but is really good. Really it's surprised. It's really good. And also kind of surprisingly dark really early. I think I expected like, you know, hey, it's going to start off jokey archery, Archie-ish and maybe take a turn for the Grim towards the end. And it doesn't. Like, no. it starts off dark. It starts off, And just off, yeah. gets so. weirdly darker. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So it very much starts off with the second page is Jughead showing up at the front door of Sabrina the Friendly Witch because Hot Dog has been hit by a car and killed, and he begs her to bring him back. And in true Pet cemetery style things end up going horribly awry from that point on. So it's 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 kind of a weird fucked up book in exactly the way that you'd hoped it was going to be and knew it never was going to be. And yet... Yeah, except it is. It is. It really yeah, is. Yeah, yeah, you really are left thinking, huh, they're actually really doing this with an Archie book. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So... Um, and they end up getting some really great effects from it for that reason. So it's good. Brian Hibbs actually was like hand sold it, 
he it's like I came in was looking at stuff he's like you know you should look at that Archie book because it was great and he was absolutely right so he's in the process of actually like pointing that out to customers being like hey if you want something that's really surprising so really a good book so yeah and I'm super curious how long they can keep it up yeah I'm kind of curious too you know because it, it feels like it's a story with an end oh it, and yet I think it's an ongoing monthly comic <laughs> Yeah, we'll see. We'll see and how part, long part they do it. Like, yeah. really? That that seems that seems unlikely. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, at the speed this is moving, I don't know. Yeah, I I find that hard to believe. But you know, I, I don't know. I'm along for the ride. I'm really surprised at how good thing, it was. They can like kill off everyone in Riverdale and then go and find you know uh, Josie and the Pussycats. Oh yeah, yeah. No, you could take I the mean, whole Marvel Zombies approach to it where it's like, sure, yeah. bring in those secondary there, characters. There's, yeah, there's places to go with it. I'm just, yeah, I'm super, super curious. Well, I, yeah. I, but I, I thought it was a great, I thought it was a great first issue. A really good one. Yeah. I, I also have to say I've got to, got to give it up to um, uh, the Archie people for because although Hibbs hand sold me on it, Earlier that day, I had read an interview, I think, on Vulture Mag- Vulture's website with Aguirre Sakasa, where he's talking about the book and the stuff that he wants. And it did a great job sort of making me be like, oh, okay, I might want to check this out, you know? The, the Archie PR people were really fucking on top of it. Yeah. I actually read it because Archie sends out uh, basically PDF links of their upcoming week's books. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I normally I don't read them. Like, I like Archie, but it's not something where I'd be like, I'm going to download this and then load it onto my Kindle, blah, blah, blah. Right. But Afterlife, I was like, oh, you know, this is, it's it's Frank Avia doing the art. It's kind of goofy. I, you know, I'll check it out. Sure. And so I read it and I tweeted Francesco. I was like, this is a great book. Mm-hmm. And because of that, the PR guy then was like, I don't know if you're saying that because you've read it or because you've seen previews. Here's a PDF of the finished book. Wow. Like, he was really on top of it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Got me that email in like half an hour, which is kind of amazing. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, super smart. Super smart choice. So, yeah, they're doing some good PR for it. It really is. God, just looking at this back cover, you know, is just so good. That little crimson R. Yeah, really, uh, surprisingly, it was a choice that I was not thinking was going to pay off, and it totally did. Weirdly enough, I was so, I cannot tell you how excited I was to see Shaolin Cowboy back on the stands. Um, and I. It's going to go the other way, isn't it? You're like, it's a choice I was sure was going to pay off, and it didn't. Yeah, basically. Exactly. I hate to say it, but uh, I can see where, honestly, a lot of other... It starts off hilarious because it starts with a the story so far page. It's all this little itty-bitty teeny type. It's so good. And yeah. then it goes on to the next page, too. Holy crap. That's two pages of shitloads of type. It's shitloads of tiny, tiny type. And most of it is just... it. it it's not until you get to the final two paragraphs that it actually starts talking about the story. The rest of it is just stuff that's like Shaolin cowboy stories and cheap jokes that could have like literally the, the first paragraph talks about um, the Shaolin cowboy returning to Shaolin temple and running afoul of Abbott Costello. So, of, <laughs> you know, it's like, and well it just played, goes, goes that. Yeah, exactly. Well yeah, yeah, yeah. So they did a great job. So despite the fact that there are just absolutely gorgeous looking um, double page spreads and single page spreads and Darrow just doing, you know, a shit ton of detail work, it also felt kind of, 
kind of perfunctory and lazy, weirdly enough. Like, lazy is not a term that I would associate with Daryl. I mean, all the details lazy, there, but... Lazy on, uh, on a narrative sense or lazy on an artistic sense? I don't... Like, is it visually lazy? Like, a, a bit of both, weirdly, for me. I don't know why. Like, that's probably absolutely unfair to say because... On the one hand, bef- you know, when Shaolin Cow- uh, Boy was publishing on a semi-regular basis, narratively, it it was uh, um, leaned heavily on, I guess, the plotless shenanigans. You know what I mean? Like it felt like the world's most insanely detailed um, Roadrunner cartoon. You know what I mean? And in, and in fact, there's enough stuff here that makes me think that the Roadrunner cartoons are, are being uh, are a very specific reference to to the sort of thing he's trying to accomplish. But yeah, weirdly, as I was flipping through it, I'm like, there's scenes of like zombies being buzzsawed against, you know, bright desert highways. And I just it 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 felt on an artistic level like Darrow being like knowing what he had to deliver and somehow coming up with the easiest way for him to deliver it, I guess. You know what I mean? Like Interesting. I would not have thought that of Darrow. That's that's really surprising to hear of about that particular artist. And you know, I think everyone will probably pillar pillory me and and you know, point out interviews where he says exactly the opposite and that I'm completely wrong and I and I get that, but weirdly, this was the first issue, and it's admittedly it's been a long time, and it sort of picks up in media res. But I just really had this moment of like, it's um, it it I I kept turning the pages, going like, okay, where's the mo-? there's always a moment for me in Darrow's work where my breath gets caught just involuntarily, you know, yeah. and that just never happened here. And I was surprised. I was like, okay, why, why is it like, you know, sort of running why, down why the list? Yeah. yeah, exactly. And I just, I don't know how to describe it. Hopefully it was just me. And it was only because it was like, you know, comic book number nine of 12, uh, Lazarus number four, which I read, um, you know, I continue to like the book. I've been a little more on the fancy on it, I think. Um, God, John Kane did a, a pretty, really substantial takedown of Lazarus on uh, the Savage Critic blog. I don't, yeah. I don't know if you yeah. read that entry, but I thought it was a really strong and it, strong enough to where it was like, "Huh, I like this book, but am I wrong?" You know, and so yeah, no, exactly. I like this book, but I actually can't stop thinking about what all all these things that were said about it, mm-hmm. and now I'm finding myself liking this book much less yeah which is really interesting so so i don't know maybe i'll get through that or i'll overcome that as as it goes on or maybe i won't um i did feel that this issue which really has a bunch of fight scenes and a bunch of behind the scene intrigue uh should have been awesome i love the coloring on it god damn the coloring was fantastic but but I didn't. It didn't really knock me out. So again, maybe it was chain comic book reading fatigue combined with John's interview, or maybe I'm just sort of cooling on the premise. But um, one thing that's funny is is that um, uh, at one point somebody mentions a comparison to Game of Thrones and Rucka on the letters page, and Rucka says, "I haven't seen or you know read or or seen that series." And I have to say, I kind of wish more people were. 
you know, like we're watching Game of Thrones. Yeah, actually, I mean, I, I know feel like it a lot of people crazy. are watching Games of Thrones. Yeah, I I feel they are too, but I'm sure. <laughs> let's put it this way: I feel like Rucka is a dude who would definitely benefit from it tremendously. In some ways, because Martin's work. I don't know, you know, Rucka works hard. You know what I mean? There's always a sense that Rucka always puts in the, the sweat hours into any project that he's on, you know? And yet, sometimes I feel like the stuff never really altogether comes together for me for a variety of different reasons. And to me, watching the three seasons of Game of Thrones on HBO somewhat relatively close together and having watched season three uh, back when I was in New York for the first time, watching it for the first time when I was back in New York, I I really feel that there's a lot of really good basic storytelling lessons that Game of Thrones uh, can teach people. Um, and I sort of wish that more people were looking at it. I don't, you know, it's one thing, I, I don't know, maybe that's, part of me is also just kind of a little... Mm, I, I'm, I'm a little worried that, like, not looking at stuff is the new looking at stuff. You know what I mean? Like, after all these years of having media creators who are like, oh, I'm hyper aware of everything that's out there in the world. Like, we're moving back to people who are kind of... The new, the new thing is to be, oh, no, I didn't see that. Or I make it a point not to follow that. Or I'm very much focused on, you know, this little brick of 18th century... um literature and how that relates to us rather than trying to capture anything you know with the tumblr feeds like the kids have you know what i mean do do you think that's a that's actually a trend or is that just something that i pulled out of my ass based on two very disparate examples i'm i'm not sure it is a trend but part of me is really reacting to the if that is a trend i'm all for it Mm mm-hmm thing i i I would love if it was a trend to not have to pay attention to everything and to not have to have an opinion on everything Mm -hmm. Uh, a part of this is my own thing uh i am i have to pay attention to a ridiculous amount of shit yes uh and and there's stuff that i've been purposely not paying attention to like i've seen a couple of episodes and i'm like i'm not getting everything from this Mm -hmm. like game of thrones is a perfect example i've seen a couple of episodes game of thrones and i just did not really take it sure i was like you know this is this is not for me right but then you have a thing where like the uh, or walking dead is another great example right I think we're like the critical consensus as such, where it's like, why are you not watching Walking, Walking Dead? Are you a fucking retard? Greatest show about zombies ever. Why are you not watching Game of Thrones? Are you a fucking retard? And like, pressure about that is insane. And like, right. I find myself feeling guilty. I'm like, you're right, I'm not watching Game of Thrones. I'm not watching Walking Dead. Clearly, there's something wrong with me. Right. Right. If we get to a point where there is an element of, you know what, I'm not watching that. What do you think of Game of Thrones, Greg Rucka? I'm not watching that. And everyone's like, okay, and they move on, as opposed to, I don't know, I think he could stand to watch some Game of Thrones. Like, that is like, <laughs> oh my god, stop, everything has gone wrong in the world. Well, it's true. I know. I, no, it's true. It is one of those things that's actually really, I'm really on the fence, because I watched... A season of a hat, season and a half. Did I? Maybe I made it through two seasons of Breaking Bad, and quit 
But you know, Breaking but Bad. Jeff, of Breaking Bad is the greatest television show that's ever been made. Absolutely, absolutely. What is wrong with I can never trust your critical faculties ever, Jeff? What? Clearly, you're an idiot. <laughs> Signs the internet. Yes, uh, exactly. I, you know, exactly. Yeah, I don't know. I just, I find, I really do. Like, I, I'm, I'm not sure if it is a trend. I personally have not noticed enough of it to say it was a trend. Mm-hmm. I think more, more likely, it's just people who haven't watched something saying I don't watch it, or haven't read something saying sure. I haven't read it, and it's not like a thing as much as they're just being honest. Yeah, no, and I think that's, uh, I think that's true. Yeah, that's a good point. I, that's why I was but, being but, a little antsy about it. But if there's if there is like if we get to a point where basically you can do that and people don't recoil in <laughs> I thought you had taste then I'd love that. Well, my thing is and I could be wrong. Because I I see your point, but how do I put it? I sort of feel that if in in I don't know. I I I will probably quietly sort of withdraw this. Um uh, opinion. <laughs> oh, I want you to say something so terrible. Now. Yeah, that would be great. Well, I think that Greg Rucker has to do his research, and so the fact that he didn't watch this television show or read this series of books that may have some possible connection <laughs> to his future dystopia means that he raped children dressed as a Nazi. <laughs> That's my poll quote for the episode. <laughs> I didn't say it, people. Graham did. Just keep that in mind. Uh, no, I, I, um, maybe not that no, far. Where, where were you going? Where were uh, you going? My, my go, I guess where I was going was, and this is, this is almost as dumb a, a statement, is the idea of if you're crafting a certain type of story and that type of story is sort of successful in the media, wouldn't you want to like check it out and see what it is a little bit? So. Yes. What's really what's really interesting about that is I'm immediately the opposite. I'm like, no, you do not watch the successful version. Right, right. Because otherwise, you're, you're going to be far too tempted gonna, to just sort of. Yeah, you're just going to fuck your head up. You're going to be like, hey, remember that story I had? Well, it doesn't really do this, and maybe that's what makes that popular. Right. So I'll do that as well. I think, yeah, I think if there's a successful version of your story, mm-hmm. and I'm not even, I'm not even sure I'd buy the argument that Game of Thrones is the immediate go-to for Lazarus, but. But if you do, I still would like. I can totally imagine Rucker being like, "I am the last thing I'm going to do is watch this because I don't want to find myself getting tripping myself up." Sure, sure. I guess. Hmm, how do I put it? Uh... To, go, to go to a comic reference for a second. Sure. I think the worst thing Matt Fraction did before he started writing Fantastic Four was reread all the Fantastic Four. Yeah, stuff. you said that, and I think that's a great point. I think that's a great point. But how do I put it? Don't you think that? Well, anyway, let me rescind the question for now, or, or the the opinion. There is a way in which I guess the the thing that worried me about season four of Lazarus was kind of the idea, like realizing that he w- probably was not going to be doing, although he still might, he wasn't going to be doing with the narrative what I was kind of hoping for, and therefore it's not going to be as fun at the risk of perhaps digging this grave much, much deeper for myself. Like with Lazarus, you've got this, this kind of fucked up future where you've got a few couple, you know, some few controlling families who were mega corporations, you know, Mm -hmm. who have access to everything. And of course they're kind of inbred and fucked up 
you know and one of the things in Lazarus 4 that happens is two family members that have been plotting together one of them double crosses the other you know that is that's a, that is a totally satisfying stable i would be happy if greg rucka said that his um one of the influences on Lazarus was like Dallas or Falcon Crest. You know what I mean? Because you can kind of see how it is Dallas or Falcon Crest. And there is kind of that thing of like, it's like, it would, how do I put it? It would make the story better. And I sort of feel like Rucka... Wait, 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 wait. It would make the story better if the story was exactly the same, but he said it had a particular influence? No, 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 no. If you really felt that influence was in there. Because four issues in, you're starting. I'm starting to get the idea of the lay of the land of who the characters are. And how do I put it? It's really, it's really dull so far. It might go someplace really interesting, but when it started out, kind of that thing that we were saying about like, oh, hey, you know, giving someone the benefit of the doubt. The first issue of Lazarus, I'm like, I could totally be down with mixing Dallas slash Falcon Crest with like the Terminator, you know, like that's Mm -hmm. totally viable for me. That's your image pitch, Jeff. Yeah, exactly. They're, they're, come on, right there. Well, that's what I'm saying is is kind of that thing of like, well, but so if I did do that, and who knows, now I've got my fingers crossed, it seems to me that it would be very sensible to at least revisit, if not those things that, like, what excites me about that no, pitch? But, but, you know what I mean? Yeah, but I guess what I'm saying is you're assuming then that Rucka's Genesis for Lazarus was, hey, I'm going to do Game of Thrones, but I'm going to do it in the future. I'm going to do it in a future dystopia, and I'm going to have a superhuman bodyguard. And I, because th- I, th- I, I feel that that's then placing you're placing an expectation on him that he does not deserve. I guess. Sure. No, like no, I no, guess no. you're, you're. But I guess you're basically saying he didn't do this thing that I thought he did that he never really said he did. Therefore. I'm sad. And I feel that's almost unfair. Oh, it's totally unfair when it's phrased like that. Fortunately, it's incorrect, so you can be relieved. Uh, <laughs> or or it may turn out that you're absolutely correct. I feel like what I'm saying is, is that um, sometimes pop culture shorthand, the shorthand for an elevator pitch is that you're saying something oh, is like, yeah, X plus Y, but you don't literally have to be aware of X or you don't it doesn't have to be slavishly like no I do have a werewolf and he is on the love boat you know what I mean like you can come up with your own way of I've said too much uh, I, <laughs> there's too much going on you can figure but at the very least it seems to me there's a few dangers that you run into one is of course if that is your pitch you have to be aware of the expectations that that creates in your audience now and I see where you're getting to it's not like Rucka at any point turned around and said hey this is Game of Thrones with Terminator and I'm not saying that he did. I guess what I'm saying is, is when I read that first issue, part of what interested me was the idea of like, oh, I might end up liking this because it's... To me, it's Game of Thrones plus Terminator. Right, exactly. And that's totally fine that he doesn't, that Rucka does not have that on in his radar, in his wheelhouse. It's kind of amazing to me, though, that Rucka does have a... Um, 
he sets up a situation in which he does have all powerful families and the way they interact. And then, I mean, that's, I mean, that goes from Romeo to Juliet all the way up to, you know, Game of Thrones. And it covers a wide spectrum in between. It just, how do I put it? I, it almost doesn't feel like. And we'll see where it goes, but finishing the fourth issue of it, it really disappointed me, sort of how perfunctory it felt, you know? I think that might be the problem sometimes with Rucka, is to me, all of the stuff that is, all of the work that he does, everything ends up feeling dutiful. Like, I don't really necessarily know what Rucka really enjoys apart from his hard-living female characters, you know what I mean? Like, and then the rest of the stuff that gets dressed around that, you know, sometimes when you've got stuff like, oh, hey, it's Stumptown and it's set in Portland, I feel like that's a more successful project in a way because it Rucka's affection for Portland or his idea of wanting to make Portland a viable big city setting, you know, that you have that, that you know, it anchors private eye stories. Um gives that like a good you know it it makes it feel more than perfunctory you know but sometimes i feel like rucka puts in so much work into the stuff like i'm never really sure how much like i said apart from the female character kicking ass and living a hard broken life how much he's really enjoying the rest of it you know and i think that was my problem is is that there's kind of uh um for better or for worse when you get to powerful families who control everything and the machinations inside the families, there is a certain level of, I don't know, if you don't like it, it just actually feels like, um, it just feels like kind of dull, melodramatic plot. It feels like plot machinery. You know what I mean? As opposed to something that actually seems immersed in the love of it, you know? I don't know. So that's what I'm saying. It's a very awkward, bad way of saying it. But one of the things that really impressed me about Game of Thrones is when I started watching was that feeling of like, oh, man, I really want to see George R.R. Martin's Excel spreadsheet, which was pretty much a pretty heavy diss on my part. But by the third season, I have to say that spreadsheet really pays some really goddamn good dividends, you know, Um and I kind of feel like looking at the ways that is done, um, looking at successful ways that is done, I think can be really helpful to the writer and the artist. And that shouldn't necessarily stop, you know? So, and that was unfortunately the thing that I got from Lazarus is Lazarus went from being like, oh man, this could be something really like big and juicy and kind of pulpy and meaty in a way that I don't necessarily expect from Rucka. And by the time of the fourth issue, I kind of felt like, okay, maybe it's not going to really be that then, you know? So that's me. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. I'm going to, I would say, I would leave it to this. I had Lazarus for kind of disappointed me as well, but it's interesting you say that you think it's not being pulpy because I think Lazarus is an exceptionally pulpy series. Yeah. It is. It uh, totally is. I mean, look at the setup. Say it all with a straight face. You know what I mean? It's pulpy. It's big. Um, but I just felt like the execution. What did you feel? The execution was too pulpy and too. No, no, not even too pulpy. It's just like that. That's that's definitely part of the DNA of the series as I see it. Mm-hmm. Um, and where 
where I was disappointed in it was more a plot development. Like, it's just, I find myself not as engaged in the story as I'd want to be. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I find myself feeling distanced from Lazarus. I guess the same amount each issue. Mm-hmm. But I, well, I, I've expected, like, as the series went on, I'd get more drawn into it. Right, I would be closer to it. I'd be more drawn to it, yeah. But I'm, like, I'm not even getting withdrawn from it. It's just, like, I still have that... I still feel like there's a barrier between me and the series. Right. And there comes a part where I'm like, okay, well, I guess there's just going to be a barrier between me and the series, and it's not really worth my time reading it. Mm. Mm-hmm. So, so my disappointment is more based upon the... I don't... I am not learning to love it mm-hmm. than the... This book has let me down, I guess. Huh. So you're more likely to see it as kind of something that's not really gelling on your end rather than something yes. that's not gelling on the book's end. No, I, I, it's not even on my end. I think the book and I are not really gelling. I see. I see. So it's, you know, I'm not, I'm not casting blame. I think, like, it's just not something that I'm falling in love with like I kind of expected to. This is interesting. You know? Yeah. So, I don't know. We'll see. I, we have 20 minutes left, and I, there's two things I want to touch on very quickly before we finish. Yes. Okay? Points of order, Mr. Chairman. <laughs> open face sandwiches, Jeff. Yes. Oh, my God. open face sandwiches. <sighs> okay, so last week, when Jeff did his um, solo cast, which I don't know about you listeners, but I... I actually emailed Jeff and said that I was quitting the podcast so that he would have to do it on a regular basis. <laughs> I, because I, I would listen to that all the time. All the time. It was it made my day. I cannot tell you. I actually ran downstairs to Kate that she had to listen to it. I was like, Kate, Kate, it's the podcast you've always wanted. And it is. All along, Kate's been like, I would just listen to like Jeff just go off on it. And I was like, this is it. This is it, oh, yeah. In this podcast, in the last episode of the podcast, um, Jeff had an issue with the open face sandwich. I did. served at a San Francisco bistro. Yep. Is, is calling it a bistro too polite? Uh, eh, no, it's a bistro is actually about perfect for where it is, I think, in its its scope of things. Technically, it was a restaurant, but it was at brunch, and it's kind of, it was, it, yeah, let's go with bistro. Okay. The reason Jeff had the problem with this was he ordered an open face sandwich and only got one piece of bread with some toppings on it. Yes. And Jeff, you were under the impression that open face sandwiches had two pieces of bread. That is correct. Is that are, are we correct? Yeah. Now in comments for that episode, and I can't even remember who it was, Martin Gray. Martin Gray, the second comment. You know when you asked what an open face sandwich would mean to me? Well you described open <laughs> being the clue, he said. What does it mean in San Francisco? I will also say that Kate, my lovely wife, had exactly the same reaction. <laughs> exactly the same reaction to the point where she later checked with me whether I thought of sandwiches <laughs> to have two pieces of bread or whether she was correct. This led Kate, ladies and gentlemen, to looking up open face sandwiches on the internet. This is the best thing ever, everybody. I have to say, uh, like... Which led to, hopefully this will be available on the, the post when it goes live, Kate creating an infographic of open face sandwiches. Of open face sandwiches. For Jeff. It, entirely for Jeff's. Uh, what, education, would you say? Edification. I'm- edification. The thing that I think is great about it is, is that, the, that Kate in, and I don't know if this was just to placate me, but Kate makes it a point to say that there are, including 
amazingly enough, citing to a legal case where a judge makes a ruling on whether or not an open-faced sandwich should have two pieces of bread or not. Um, and then basically in the text to placate me is like, well, it's true, accounts vary, and then makes it a point to include 60-some-odd photos of open-faced sandwiches, all of which only have one piece of bread. So I'm like, uh, I think I... I think Kate's trying to tell me something. So <laughs> this will hopefully, if we remember, be available um on savagecritic.com when we put this podcast up. Oh yeah. The, yeah, the, yeah. This infographic. So that you will get to see uh, it's called the Open Sandwich, a history and definition. Yes. And I have <laughs> and to she, say she re- she really, really did look into the history of the open face sandwich. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I believe it. It all looks legit. <laughs> I have to I have to say Greg Rucka could not have done a better job of uh, you know, researching and bringing the the perils of open face sandwichness to us all. So I I love the my, infographic. My fa- my favorite part of the infographic is the bottom of it. Oh yeah. <laughs> I will not spoil it for those of you who haven't seen it. Yes. But I will just say there were some interesting searches to get that particular image (laughs) at the bottom of the infographic. I'm really terrified now. Uh, Yeah. So everybody, um, please definitely go over to SavageCritic.com when you hear this episode and, and hunt it up so that you can see the infographic. It is... As infographics go, it is a very tame one. I don't. I just so not to disappoint people who are. Expecting. Oh yeah, it's, it's not. It's not like a crazy chart or anything. It's literally like. Yeah, it's it's, it's just exactly what it says. Mm-hmm. It's it's a history and definition of of sandwiches. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I thought that was <laughs> spectacular. So yes, open face sandwiches. Kate suggested that open face sandwiches actually become the next waffle on the show. <laughs> Let's just bear that in mind. I'm I'm willing let's, to keep it in mind. I really am. I have to admit. Think about it. Yeah, exactly. Well, if I if I can find any other open face sandwiches, I'm I'm interested in attacking and and, and or uh you know perhaps looking for the perfect open face sandwich, perfect by Jeff's definition. I will let you all know. Believe me. But you know what you could do, Jeff? You could just order two. Graham, this is my point. It's not. <laughs> ah. <laughs> And so the war begins anew. Yeah, see, this is my thing. It's like I, I'm paying for the for the prices I'm paying. There should be a second piece of bread there. That's my thing. Oh, Scrooge McDuck. I know. I know. Yes. Hey, Jeff. Yes. What have you been up to lately? Have you done anything interesting that we should talk about? No, not really. <laughs> no. Uh, yes, Graham. Come on. <laughs> I'm so it is so great that you said that. Uh yes. As a matter of fact, listeners, uh perhaps some of you may have noticed for those people who don't have ad block on, when this podcast goes live, it is the live launch of my the first book from my publishing imprint, Airport Books, uh after months of diligent uh scholarly work and the help of many fine uh editors and experts i have reconstructed the 70s epic erotic vampire bank heist written by ej ellers and available now in the kindle store um with a i think a frankly smashing cover uh, that was put together by the talented Edie Burton, uh, which she, as she is quick to point out at my fanatical hair pulling demands um, and requirements. Erotic Vampire Bank Heist. It is approximately 350 pages. It has a lot of sex in it. It also has vampires. It also has a lot of bank heists in it. 
It's almost like the title is explaining what's in the book, Jeff. It almost is. It almost is. Uh, yeah, it, it definitely... So, okay, okay, yes. okay. Wait, mm-hmm. wait, wait, wait. Yes, wait, yes, wait. yes. Let's, let's just, for a second, and literally for a second, we've not got that long. <laughs> it's so true. Jeff, what the hell made you do this in the first place? Like, you have a... a publishing imprints you've kept this really quiet and people i would like to point out jeff has kept this really quiet this has been a project that has been ongoing for quite some time but okay so give people a short introduction airport books what is it go right well airport books is the publishing imprint that i have if you go to airportbooks.net that site will be live by the time you hear it and sort of talks about the idea of for for me one of the things that's really exciting for me about ebooks and books on the Kindle is uh, the idea of being able to revisit um, sort of what I think of as the golden era, you know, of for me growing up in the 70s, there were a lot of different types of paperback books that were out in the market. And I remember very distinctly as a kid going on a trip and being completely spellbound by the selection available in the airport bookstore. Um, and one of the things that really did strike me was that it there was a, a lot of everything. It was just all technically kind of trashy. There were trashy mysteries. There were trashy pulp adventure reprints. Which are great. Like, I, I, I once got in trouble for, I think it was a Wired piece, where I talked about trashy books. And I meant it in, like, the best way. Right. Because I, I was like, trashy Because to me, trashy books are amazing. Like, trashy literature and trashy, trashy anything, trashy movies, trashy TV. Yes. There's an appeal to it. Like, it's aware of its, uh, I don't want to say classlessness, but do you know what I mean? Like, yes. it's, it's, it knows exactly what it is, and it embraces it, and it's all the better for it. And someone, gave, like, wrote me the shittiest email where they're just like, you are such a snob. Trashy indeed. <laughs> Harry, who are you to make this value judgment? That's right. I'd be like, no, I mean it in the best way. In the best we possible should, should way. Say that here. Exactly. Yeah, these are trashy books in the in the like really pulpy is the wrong way of putting it because it's not like noir, but like there really is a sort of disposable quality to it. Yeah. It's like much like what we've talked about with early 2008, mm-hmm. where it's like because they don't expect it to live on, they're like shamelessly just being like, hey, okay, everyone, it's, you know, it's 1976, and flares are in, so everyone's fucking going to wear flares. Exactly. And they're like the discotheque, and you're like, yes! Right, exactly. They're going to be in a discotheque, and so there's there's a lot of things that, um, you know, really, ex- ex- yeah, I, I'm excited by the idea of taking that dynamic of, giving you everything that it says on the tin plus and i really felt that erotic vampire bank heist was a way to do that because on the one hand like almost the complaint that that i think i could see being leveled against it is kind of a weird for for people who really want it to be like super trash i don't think that it's got quite the a, a lot of the disposable trash i remember from the 70s there there can be a certain amount of nastiness and grit to it i suppose and and one of the things that appealed to me about erotic vampire bank heist is the idea that it has all the stuff that you it has a ton of sex it has gunfights it has bank robberies it has double crosses it you know it's got dark knights of the soul people get killed people get killed in you know um 
almost slow motion fashion, if you can imagine that happening on the page. But it also has a, um, I think it's got some things behind it, some thematic concerns that the author clearly had on his, on, on their mind that was about trying to be maybe a little more positive about people, even while sort of enjoying the, just the gritty and let's face it, very absurd concepts behind, you know, in trashy books. So airport books is where I'm going to be publishing, um, eBooks that are relatively inexpensive, like, um, Erotic Vampire Bank Heist is approximately 350 pages, and it is uh, $3.99 in the... It, you can buy it for... Currently, it's exclusive to the Amazon Kindle for the first 90 days, um, because that allows me a variety of... Um, it allows me to have free days. It allows me some promotion. It also allows me to have the book be checked out for free by people in the Amazon Prime program who have a lending library and yet I'll still get a share of uh, the royalties for that to go on to the the Ellers estate um, and it's where I'm hoping to like if I get really excited about like reading stuff like uh, the mention of barbarian romance in like Brandon Graham's book or uh, it, it, um, in multiple warheads or even the terrible book that is referenced in saga like what is it like no. Th- oh, the, yeah, the 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 romance one that has gone to visit the writer, and he's he's written the romantic book that he thinks is terrible as well. And yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah and it's you know, it's like right time for smoking or night time for smoking or whatever the hell it is. I remember it's got for smoking in it at at the end of it. Um, I just really like the idea of like it, as exciting as it is to see those things in there. It really is like. I kind of wanted to have a, a place to to publish the sort of books that I really wanted to read, which would be sort of, you know, um, really potentially very goofy stuff, but that also is written well enough that it's it's not it's not just a cheap joke at the same time. If that makes sense, it's a really fine line to straddle, and um, I look forward to actually having people check out Erotic Vampire Bank Heist and and letting me know and you know so that i can pass along to the the author's estate the idea that 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 it worked for them or didn't work for them um Mm -hmm. it'll be it'll be interesting to see as as you know graham some people read it and really were like whoa there's a lot of sex in this book um but you know i'm kind of hoping that for a lot of people that that is actually going to be a draw and the fact that there's actually a serious story running through it and i think some really good I really like the female characters in the book and I really, I don't know, it's a book that I enjoyed a lot and I'm, I'm putting forward out in the world in the hopes that a lot of people enjoy it too. I am super excited for this for you. <laughs> uh, listeners, you have, you have no idea how long Jeff has been making this happen and, and <sighs> like behind the scenes and, and yeah. it's been a thing. Jeff, clearly being a publishing magnet is much harder work than just like, you know, yeah, you're, this thing and fuck it, I'm putting it on iTunes or something. Yeah, right. you've, you've, you've chosen the wrong thing to do, Jeff. Completely. I'm so excited. Hooray! Thank Hooray you. Thank you. Lester, everyone. Yeah. Yep. yeah, you should be screaming along with your iPhones. When yes. You're in the gym. Maybe not, but. <laughs> and it's so had many, its first okay. sale, by the way, I should mention. It has? Yeah, it it's actually awesome, did. It, it got. Really? It went live today, now, the I'm day excited. that we record. 
You don't even know who bought it. I don't know. I don't know. I was half expecting it to say that it was you, but I'm like, who got this? I didn't know it was up. No. Oh, man. Okay. I'm very, very, very excited for this. Yeah. I I think this would be great. I am like you being in charge of this sort of thing makes me stupidly happy. I hope everyone will accept the fact that I've hijacked the last 10 minutes of this podcast (laughs) to basically (laughs) offer a plug. For Jeff Lester's new venture, but yes, tough. That's what we're doing. Yes, you'll just have to deal, people. Um, that's right. Yeah, I'm, I thank yeah, you, Graham. You better not edit this out, Jeff. <laughs> no, I'm not. As much as I want to, I'm like, ah, oh, two more to find. But listeners, really, I have to say that that Graham, uh, unsurprisingly to you, to for you to hear it, this is uh, something that Graham was just a tremendous like help. Uh, and resource oh, and you really gave me like a lot of no you totally did you were in the background That's pushing me you definitely were at least if nothing else as both sounding board and as person you people might wonder what it is that we talk about when we're off mic and there's a certain about amount of it is gossip that would get us like completely killed and dragged down comics yeah, exactly. main thoroughfare if we were to say it uh, out loud and on air but there is a certain amount of it you actually don't you manage to miss a, a tremendous amount of uh, whinging at least on my part um ab- about things that are problematic or frustrating and going through this process which i really did think that we would be having this exact conversation a year earlier <laughs> about the publication of it really says a lot. Um, that that year plus of getting of getting to this stage was really rough, and I was incredibly grateful to have uh, Graham and Kate to actually talk uh, to and uh, and work with. In some cases, if you check out AirportBooks.net, you'll get a chance to see work that only could have um, been put together by the lovely Kate McMillan. So really a great site. I'm excited. I'm looking forward to getting more titles on it soon. I will thank you on behalf of Kate for that one. So wait, wait, more titles? Like, are there things you're going after? What's, what's the deal? Uh, Jeff, Jeff, no, no offense. This one took you a really long time to like get all your ducks in a row. Yeah, yeah. Um, is, is it one of these, you don't want to say what's coming next because it might take you a really long time to get all your ducks exactly, in a row? <laughs> exactly, exactly, exactly. I mean, there's, there's. my hope is is that as this goes goes on, it will get a lot easier to get projects put together. There's some, there's some serialized projects sort of in, in the vein of, you know, the great pulp novels where you've got recurring characters and new adventures. Um, that I really want to put together. But first, there's a larger project that I have to go after, um, and we'll see We'll see how long that takes to come together. But so for right now, Erotic Vampire Bank Heist is the is uh, Airport Books' first title and will remain its only title for some time. But I do hope that people check it out and make a point, if nothing else, to join the the Airport Books mailing list. I promise not to spam people relentlessly um, uh, so that they can be kept aware when, when future products come up. So, Listeners, thank you for listening to Jeff and I completely not talk about comics for the last 20 minutes. <laughs> talk about more important things, I think you'll all agree. Yes, uh, like open face sandwiches. Yes, and more importantly, like the thing that is going to... like make 
make you a superstar in the in the publishing world, and then everyone will come and bow to you and say, Jeff Lester. Where did you find that erotic vampire Jeff bank heist? <laughs> I'm scared. Why is everyone in the publishing industry ghost scram? What do you know that I don't know? <laughs> That's the ending of the sixth sense we never saw coming. All right. Oh my god, it's gone horribly wrong. Hey, listeners, we'll be back next week, and hopefully we will be, you know, talking nonsense, whatever. We'll see. We'll have all the New York Comic Con um, gossip, I'm sure, to tell you. Absolutely, and hopefully at that point I'll have read the next trade in Al Ewing and Henry Flint's Zombo, which I'm so excited to have in my hands, and Battling Boy. Oh, yes. can, mm-hmm. can we just say, everyone who has not bought Zombo, you should buy Zombo. Yeah. Yeah, the first trade was super for, strong. Time for the next episode. Mm-hmm. But get the the second one that just hit the U.S. Uh, and probably the U.K. as well. Zombo. Yeah, it, ju- it just it's just come out. You smell of crime, and I'm the deodorant. A a fine. And it, and it has title. the most recent series from 2008, right? It has the one with the the scarabs. Oh yeah, actually, it really does. It goes right down to the Beatles. So yeah, yeah. I guess they were waiting okay. for this well, to get case, a super yes. big trend. Yeah, yeah, this is great, ladies and gentlemen. You really, really should buy this. It is one of the funniest comics you will read this year. If yeah. you have not read it, and Jeff and I have talked about this many, many times, if you've been waiting for the collection to come out, it's just come out. It is spectacular. It is so, so good. Buy that. I will buy it, and then we can do a book club on it next week, Jeff. Ooh, Zombo Book Club. I'm actually super excited by that. That sounds great. Okay, it's on ladies and gentlemen yes buy your copies and, and read along and then go to airportbooks.net and buy Jeff's book um, or go to Amazon because you can only get it on Amazon oh, so Amazon. if you run to well, Amazon then, yeah well, exactly no no no, no. Go, go to airportbooks.net and look at my wife's work yes and then from click there. through <laughs> to go through because I might even get a little cut of the, the merchant Amazon merchant yeah, see mm-hmm. even better okay everyone we'll talk to you next week thanks for listening bye so smooth.